Amen. I uh, remember an old uh, preacher story. I knew that gentleman, and someone complained to him, God speaks to you, but he doesn't speak to me. And he said, God never spoke to me before I read the Bible. More recently, Fred, I think, was talking with Hannah. He said, uh, you want to you hear God speaking to you? Read your Bible. You want to hear him speaking to you audibly? Read it out loud. <laughs> That's good advice, right? Uh, the, um, the, God does speak uh, directly by his spirit to people. That's what the gift of prophecy is and so on. But... How can we expect such things if we neglect what is given to all and is priceless? So, there's that. And why would he tell us something that he's already written for us? <laughs> We're too lazy to read it. So, there's that as well. The Holy Spirit shall bring to your remembrance all things whatsoever I have spoken unto you, assuming we were awake and listening, right? <laughs> So that's he said to the disciples, and so we need to read those words. John chapter 15. I, uh, verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we 
thankful for the words of Christ, even thy word, Lord, and we give you thanks for it and ask that it would be in our minds and our hearts that we might have help of the Holy Spirit in speaking and hearing and receiving and living thy word. Amen. Amen. I suppose, uh, brethren, I don't, um, I don't want to get locked into simply systematically expounding the whole passage to the ability that God has given me because we're not doing a study in John. And although I trust it would be profitable, I don't think it's necessary. I, I'd like to uh, zero in on what I believe the Lord is wanting to communicate to us as a congregation through the true words of Christ here. And so rather than just try and, like I do when I eat a, a chicken leg or something, you know, that bone is polished when I'm done with it, right? And, and I often approach the scriptures the same way. Well, rather than take that approach with every verse and so on, I'd like us to get a, a direction, a, a a word from the scriptures, from the Lord, for us as a congregation, as a people, as Christians who are gathered together as a church in the name of the Lord Jesus. Last year, at some point, I had some goals. I felt I had goals for us. And I don't claim, I don't think I claimed then, I certainly would be foolish to try and claim that now, uh, that they were specifically, you know, of the Lord, but I felt they were good goals. Um, the one was that I wanted to see everyone happy and encouraged in the Lord. One. Another is a earnestly desirous of a breakthrough in Tom's life. See him come in. Um, joy in the Lord. Another was that the real needs of healing that we have in our midst, God, we would, as a church, be there in a place of faith that God would do that. And the last one for was that uh, through the ministry of this body, Christ, um, the Lord would save out of the world one family, transformed, from, translated from the kingdom of Satan unto God, regenerated and baptized. How are we doing on the first one of those? The other three, we know, did not, uh, not come to fruition. And um, what about the first one? Is everybody happy in the Lord and rejoicing? can answer that question because what can happen is if everyone sticks a hand up you know one person's feeling discouraged now they're faced with being embarrassed or lying and that's not a, a good option at church so I wouldn't want to do that to someone but I mean we know what happened to, to Tom and uh, I shared concerning that on Wednesday I trust that was helpful edifying um, the last thing I noticed uh, there, and I didn't share this on Wednesday, uh, concerning Abraham, right? 
we recounted from the passage how um, Lot's father had died, and as had Abraham's, but uh, Abraham's father had taken Lot with him when they moved from Ur of the Chaldees. And then Abram's father died, and now Abraham became an older brother slash fill-in father for Lot. And he went with Abram and was mentored by him in faith. And then when Lot became prosperous, he was, um, they had to separate because of this, the friction between their workers. And... Um, so Abraham offered him the best of the land. Lot took the land that was going to be the most financially advantageous, although the most spiritually perilous. Later on, Lot was kidnapped by marauding uh, tribal kings, and Abraham rescued him. And then later, when the wickedness of Sodom, which Abraham must have known, everyone knew, later Abimelech said, Lord, wilt thou also slay a righteous nation? Like, we know you slew the wicked nations. You're going to slay a righteous nation. So it was known that Sodom was wicked and that they perished for their wickedness. And Abram knew that judgment was well-deserved and he's praying for Lot. And the text tells us that. That when God destroyed Sodom, he remembered Abram and saved Lot. So Abram's prayers were not for Sodom, but for Lot. And he got it down to ten with the hope that Lot... If Abram's whole household of over a hundred men were all righteous, God said he will command his household after him. They will keep the way of the Lord. Abram could reasonably hope that Lot had discipled nine others. There'd be ten righteous there. And having prayed, he got up early in the morning to see the answer. And the answer was a horrible no. He saw smoke ascending. The city was destroyed. His prayers had failed. So he thought. And he never knew that God had given him what he asked. And saved Lot. Because there was no evidence. The evidence was to the opposite. Abram was so disillusioned that he went away from Canaan. He, he wandered in his disillusionment. The end of the chapter, it tells us what happens to Lot. The beginning of the next chapter, Abram left. He had left before and gone into um, during famine, so that's more understandable. He didn't just have the faith to expect God to feed him in the famine. That was a normal thing. But there was no such thing. He just wandered off in his disillusionment. And, uh, and he, he reverted back to his old unbelief, you know, she's my sister. And I pray, brethren, that no one will wander off from faith and disillusionment from what, uh, what's transpired. God heard your prayers. God heard your prayers. Even if you and I don't get to see them. And he did what was right. Keep praying. Keep praying. As we are commanded. But what about the others? What about the goals? And, and here I believe brethren. Is um, scripture that is timeless. But also has specific application for us. Where we are at individually and collectively. The words of Jesus. 
Jesus said, I am the vine. He's uh, earlier in chapter 14. So in chapter 15 he says, I am the vine, the true vine. In chapter 14 he said those famous words, I am the way, the truth and the life. It's all Christ. Paul would write to the Colossians, it's Christ in you. The hope of glory. He would write, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. It's the indwelling Holy Spirit of God that is the Christian life. And that life requires our full cooperation and diligence. But you and I cannot manufacture the life of Christ. This is not the Old Testament where the law was literally written on a pillar of stone in the community square. And you would read it and do it. This is a thing. The Jews pride themselves or consider it a bonus that you don't have to have faith to be a Jew. I don't know if you're aware of that. They, they use this as an exaltation, why it's superior to Christianity, where you have to believe. You just do, and you will find eventually, maybe, that you come to faith by doing. I remember that writer, and perhaps I've mentioned this before, Jewish writer Hillel Halkin. I think he lives in Israel, at least he did. Uh, published um, many essays in the uh, Jewish secular magazine in the United States called Commentary Magazine. And uh, I forget the subject of his essay that I read. It was a number of years ago now. His father was an Orthodox Jew, and he shares how he was surprised to learn from his father that he did not have the slightest belief in the Supreme Being to whom he poured out his heart every day in mournful prayer. He prayed, but he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God at all. See, Doing, doing. And, and some Christians get a hold of this. You even have that famous book by Thomas Akempi of the Imitation of Christ. But whatever is in the book, the title is, can be misleading. You and I can only imitate Christ if Christ dwells within us. <laughs> and our minds are educated uh, to cooperate with that spirit. But we can't look at Jesus out there, so to speak, or out in the pages of Scripture and of our own selves be like Him. It will always be corrupted by that flesh, that selfish old man. You need Christ in you. And this is Jesus saying, I am the true vine, my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now, he says in verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Now, this isn't intended, although it is used, or has been used by many. This isn't intended as a quote-unquote deeper life verse and teaching. This is basic Christianity. And... It may have a mystical component, but it also has a very practical component. It's within reach for every Christian. Within easy reach. 
When I say easy reach, I mean it's not far away. It's very close. <clears throat> Might take some application. How much does Christ cost you? What is the price of Christ? Who's the brave soul? Everything. That's the answer. All your heart. Everything you've got. Whether it's nothing or millions or billions. It's everything. That's the cost. That's the point. Now, and to, to live the Christian life, that's what it costs. Everything. But the, the words of Jesus here... He that abideth in me and I in him. It's not far away from us. This is near for every Christian. It's not for the super spiritual elites. It's, you know, um, and this word abiding can be misleading if we don't think through what's being said. Right? Because abiding can seem passive. Right? If I say to you, and the Lord says elsewhere, you know, abide here, tarry here till I come. You know, just... Just abide here while I go on an errand. And you could just sit there and do nothing and you would be obeying that. If I said to my children, I wouldn't be bossing you around, but I said to my children, abide here, I'm going to go home and come back. And they just sat there, they could sleep. It's a completely passive thing. And they would be being obedient. But what the Lord Jesus is saying is not passive. And we need to think that through. Um, a branch... Abiding in a vine simply means remaining there, connected. But there's a lot of activity, and God willing, in a couple of months, we're going to see that. We're going to see buds and leaves and fruit. That is the result of a lot of activity going on. A lot of activity. We, uh, the boys are hoping to run several hundred, three or four hundred uh, taps this uh, month <laughs> and get lots of maple syrup, hopefully if we get some freezing and thawing. <laughs> I've read a number of theories or hypotheses as to why the sap production is the way it is. And I think what I've read is nobody really knows for sure, although there are a few different hypotheses. Activity though, sap is going up, it's coming down, it's pouring out. You could stick your mouth to the to the uh, spigot and drink. Sometimes there's a lot of activity, and when Jesus says to the disciples, "Abide in me," he doesn't mean be passive. There's a lot of activity going on in that abiding, but we've got to stay. Connected, not in a detachable connection. Matthew is showing me some of his work at a, uh, a greenhouse that they, Electric, been doing. A lot of connections. I mean, the wire is one continuous cable, but you know, when you're on conduit, you connect things, and theoretically, things can be disconnected. But branches are part of. You, there's no disconnect. There's not on off on off. A disconnection is a permanent thing with a branch. 
it's quite a challenge to get a branch that's broken off back in. Now you might as well be grafting from a wild tree. You've got to cut this way and notch in that way and, and bandage. It's quite a thing. So it's not just remaining connected. It's remaining a part of. This is what the thing is. Uh, this is what the, the concept is. John, John writes it, and perhaps it will help us to, to understand if we look at this and intended to go there this morning. We did start quite late, you know, brethren, so um, I'll look at my watch, but please don't you look at yours. So we'll, we'll go a little over time this morning. Um, Second John. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. You see, this, before this becomes a mystical, deeper life spiritual teaching, it's first of all a very practical thing. Remain a believer in Jesus. Now we can all do that. Amen or amen, if you prefer. Yeah, you have to go with my English version. You can go with the Americans. Yeah, that's fine. Remain in the doctrine of Christ. Remain in the faith that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That His teaching is the Word of God. Remain in that. But this is not a passive thing. There's all kinds of activities, and we're going to see that. <laughs> so. Don't get too flustered thinking, you know, I'm just not sure if I'm in the spirit and, and all introspective and, you know, it, it wasn't a deeper life teaching. I realize it has been used that way and in its context, I'm not saying it was wrong to do that. But we're not there. We are wanting to understand the original intention of the Lord as he was giving it to his disciples. This is hard for us to to to. to get our thinking shifted if it's been locked into a particular way. These were Jews who had found the Messiah and they were uh, being told to stay with the Messiah. John had wobbled, art thou he that should come or look we for another, John the Baptist. Others would revert back to Judaism and have some kind of hybrid. Others would take some Greek philosophy and mix it. This is the context. Or others might just go off on their own and try and build a kingdom. The thief on the cross, I can only conclude, was a disciple. I suppose you could be some real hyper-Calvinist and believe that God just randomly or arbitrarily gave that man a revelation that, hey, this man before, beside me is the Lord of glory who has never sinned. And wow, what a, like, that is so unlikely that that's what happened. I don't see how we could reasonably believe that. Thief on the cross beside the Lord was most probably a disciple. Close enough to him for long enough to know that Jesus had never done anything wrong. And he had been disillusioned. Because there wasn't going to be any money and any glory, as Judas ultimately was. And had gone off. Perhaps at that time when Jesus talked about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, and many of his disciples turned away and walked no more with him. Perhaps this man was one of them. Most likely he teamed up with Barabbas, a would-be Messiah who had murdered and plundered. 
or capitalizing on the messianic impulse that was common throughout Jews at the time. And having wasted his life, he turned to Christ, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He had gone off. The Lord had warned them, and the other gospel writers record it, many false Christs shall arise and shall deceive many. Go ye not therefore after them. This happened. When the days will come when you desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and shall not see them. Hard times were coming on the nation of Israel. Very hard times. And they, uh, <clears throat> the disciples were being told to the Lord, Remain in your faith in Christ as Messiah, as Lord. Don't follow any of these false Christs that arise. Don't go off on your own. Don't make up your own hybrid. Remain in this faith. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And when I go away, I'm going to give you my spirit and I'm going to dwell in you forever. Remain in that faith. Walk in that spirit. This is what he's saying. <clears throat> so, if you are, you know, as Someone was talking to me recently. He said, you know, I know it's a commandment, but I'm, I'm not confident to say I'm filled with the Spirit. Well, I, I appreciate that honesty. And it's much better than someone who isn't saying, oh yeah, I am. But the point there is, if you are not, um, you know, what is this spiritual life all about? There is a way for us here. Remain in the faith of Christ remain. And then this is here the Lord's point. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Let's contemplate that, brethren. You can't make fruit happen. And I've been reading a bit. You might hear me mention it often, but it doesn't mean I'm reading lots. It just means that's how my mind works. It does loops and orbits, you know, and when I'm onto something and it's there, it'll come out often. I'm reading a little bit and have read a little bit, a very little bit, about um, fitness and so on, because I'm losing it and I'm trying to postpone my being a decrepit, you know, fossil and postpone my wife's widowhood as long as I can and be responsible there and try and be uh, strong and so forth for those that depend on me. And this one writer said, don't focus on the results, focus on the process. The key is to develop habits that make the process inevitable. He's talking about weight loss there, and you might wonder why I would be concerned about that, and I'm not really. But there are certain things. What I'm more concerned about is weight gain prevention. <laughs> uh, it's, harder, it's easier to keep it off than to get it off once you've added it. And so he has a number of tips there. Once your evening meal's done... Don't eat anything more for the rest of the night. You don't need it. 
we just live in a world of abundance and you've got these habits and it actually not only does it help you pack on the pounds it's bad for your sleep and so on right but here's the thing just develop good habits if you're trying to lose weight and the weight loss will happen by itself the problem is so many people are trying to you know they're stepping on the scale endlessly and and they're you know and they're counting calories and all that just simplify your life put that in process and the results will happen by themselves and he hires himself out to help people that can't do that on their own I'm not one of the people that is hiring him by the way Um, think about that just a few tips anytime you feel hungry and you feel like you want a snack or something just drink water takes a little discipline which is not normal for our society because and which is bad for the fast food people's profits that's really should be illegal because it's not food right it's fast but it's not food they should call it something else fast fake food it's not a good advertising slogan but focus on the process Uh, that's the thing the Lord said which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature, right? Well, which of us, by taking thought, can drop 20 pounds? It's the same thing, right? We can't just think it into... We have to abide in a life that will make that happen of its own accord. You do certain things and the results come. And uh, maybe that's a weak illustration, but the the thing that I'd like to bring out for us, brethren, is we want to be fruitful. We want to um, see, we want to know more of Christ, we want Christ to be more manifest in us, and we want to see others saved and added to his church through our union with him. Is everyone with me on that? Amen. But we can't, that's the fruit. And we can't make that happen. This is what the Lord is saying. Uh, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. And this is what he's saying. He's let's let's trace it. Let's follow it with me, brethren. Follow this in the passage. Um, Verse 4, abide in me. That's a commandment. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch. Verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you. That's key. We'll come back to that. So, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Um, You can scan the passage... I might give you a moment to do that, but think. What are the commands of Christ in the passage? To love one another. And before that, hint, I've quoted it and read it a few times. Begins with an A. Abide. What what does he not command? Bear fruit. That's not a commandment. It's a result of obeying the commandment, which is to abide in the vine. And 
what I would... There's a great comfort in this, brethren. A great comfort. Because we focus on the process and let God focus on the results. All right? Let us not be straining and looking at it, you know. Let's not be like that person trying to drop 20 pounds or or more and jumping on the scale every morning and, you know, and the needle's moved up a little bit. You know, you got to go, one, you're going to be dressed, anyway, you're going to be dressed the same, you're going to do it at the same time and just focus on the process. Set a good process in place and keep at it and the results will come. That is the thing I would like us to see, brethren, is let us not be discouraged with anything or distracted with anything other than abiding in Christ. And I want to focus now on what that means, to abide in Christ, because, as I've stated, it's not passive. Abiding in Christ is very active. There is life pulsating through that branch from the vine, and that's what causes it to bear fruit. The key is to be abiding in that vine and having that life pulsating through. And the fruit comes of its own accord. I suppose we should look at at two things then. What is it to abide in Christ? And what is the fruit of which he speaks? All right? I'll spare us um, turning aside to other things elements in the passage. There is so much in this passage. But I'm, I'm desiring for us as a church to live joyfully, hopefully, confidently in faith uh, without the, um, the strain of just trying to make something happen. That's not how to live as a Christian. It's not how to live as a congregation. Here's a clue for us. If ye abide in me, the Lord's spelling it out, verse 7, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Jesus said earlier to the crowd, to those that believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Be real disciples, in actuality, indeed. Here he's saying, if ye abide in me, in that faith that I am the Savior, I am the Messiah, if you abide in that, remain in that faith, and my words abide in you, that is, they are manifestly done, then you'll bear much fruit. So it's not a passive thing. It's not simply believing. James says this. The devils believe. This is keeping the words of Christ. And they are many. And the words of Christ through his apostles. And they are many. And John focuses and the Lord focuses on the primary one. Love one another. We could spend a lot of time on this. My summary to us is, I think, Paul's to the Thessalonians. I need not to... concerning brotherly love, I need not to write unto you. You yourselves are taught of God to love one another. But I'm 
beseech you increase more and more. I think that's all I would say to our congregation on that. I, I don't see a, any evidence of a lack of love. I see a wonderful, loving people. And I think Paul would say to us, as he said to the Thessalonians, I just beseech you increase in that. And that is one of the keys. Love, active, um, genuine, beyond loving those that love you. And so, since everyone loves one another, how do we do that? By laying down our lives one for another. It can be in the most simple, niggly things. When a young couple is in love, uh, and before they're even married, doing something for the other person is a delight. Amen? You just, I just happen to be driving by, you know, 100 kilometers out of my way. And oh, here you are, and I just happened to pass by a flower shop, and I emptied my wallet to buy, you know, the most expensive flowers I could possibly find, just on a whim, and oh, here you are, these are for you, right? You can see a guy doing that, and he's cooking up this plan, he's looking forward to it, he spent half a day at that, because he's trying to win somebody really special. Men, we don't have to lose that, you know, I mean, we do get a bit older and less energy, and and, you know, raising children can be distracting and so on. But, but that, uh, that love, it, what it can translate into is you're both lying in bed, snuggled up and warm, and somebody has forgotten something that should be done before you really close for the night and to volunteer to be the, the martyr that gets out of bed and puts his bare feet on the cold floor and does that for the beloved. So, brothers... How about we are as enthusiastic for that as we were for the 100-kilometer detour with the flowers when we were courting, right? It's that kind of a thing. But now that we've got this in the back, oh, dear, oh, you know, like, you know, like, God forbid that we would become selfish, right? This is the kind of thing that domestic life goes on. But to have that same joy and brethren with one another, the, to be delighting to, to, to go the extra mile. As unto Jesus. You know, it's, it's not just the you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And then this is, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. So it's got to be the love that's beyond just two good neighbors. Hey, you know, I've got this to do and then I'll help you with that. Neighbors, un, unsaved, do not even the sinners and publicans the same. And I have seen pictures of a biker gang weeping at the death of one of their fellow gang members. And these are people that kill other gang members, other gangs. And they're, anyway, we won't get distracted with that. Crying, you know, he, he went too early. You guys are killers. And, you're, and they love one another. So it, the love of the church has to be far greater than that. And by this shall all men know you're my disciples. This is the light to the nations. The nature in which Christians love one another far exceeds anything in the society at large. This is what the Lord is saying. First of all, this is the one commandment he spells out. Now there's loads of things to do and we'll touch on. I'll just mention some of them. To give us a flavor for part of what abiding in the vine means. But this is the life of Christ. It's characterized by pure, holy love. 
It's um, not just concerned with me and my life. It's, how is this one doing? How is that one doing? It's this, and a whole community where everyone's just loving and looking out for everyone else. Not all self-centered, me, my, my problem, my big toe, my whatever, my issues, my bills, my problems, my leaky, whatever. But love one another. Abide in me. My words abide in you. These are the words of Christ. Love one another as I have loved you. Now if those words abide in us, that means we're doing them. Thinking about them, we're doing them. That will cause fruit. Any other words of Christ? Well, there are lots. Take no thought for the morrow. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Those words need to abide in each of us. That means we're all seeking the kingdom of God. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. That means we're praying without giving up. And for what are we praying? We're praying for the Holy Ghost to minister to others. To have to eat, so to speak. Satisfy our own souls. That's the one uh, parable. If you ask for egg, bread, fish, which son, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So we're asking the Lord for um, Christ to always be satisfying our own hearts. And we're earnestly seeking the Lord for that to minister to others. Those are words of Christ that need to abide in us. How about through the apostles? Covet earnestly the best gifts. Covet to prophesy. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Those words need to abide in us. They need to be functioning in our souls and through us. What about what brother was preaching last week? Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, not only in your heart. We're not having a silent Quaker meeting. Got to come out, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Sometimes that might not be appropriate. If you're in a courtroom, for whatever reason, don't start singing at the top of your voice. But you can still make a melody in your heart. And notice, uh, so the way I would understand those words, psalms are the literal psalms, scriptures that would be sung. Hymns literally are songs of praise, whether a psalm that is of praise or the believer's own composition or someone else's composition that is praise. A hymn is specifically praise. And spiritual song would be anything related to the Christian life. Psalms, hymns, spiritual song. That covers the whole gamut of things we'd be singing. Not Elvis. Right? I'm dating myself, I know, with that. But not a pop song. He tells us how to be filled with the Spirit. And and, uh, Sean elaborated on on the other things, um, submitting yourself one to another is practical, our attitude towards others. That word, those words need to be abiding in us. Do you see, brethren, as we are given to living and the word of God, to uh, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, this is the process that makes fruit bearing inevitable. <clears throat> 
We need to give ourselves to it. It's not just this passive let go and let God. And, you know, I don't want to mock that. There, there is application for those kinds of things. Abide in me. If, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. No doubt we've all heard the preacher, you know, trace it out. Uh, uh, Let's see, in the early verses, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Uh, So shall ye, all right, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. There it is, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. This is the progression, right? That's what we're all looking for. But our focus is on the process. Abiding in Christ and his word abiding in us. We were exhorted by our brother earlier to uh, read the word of God and to feed on it. Meditate on it. And walk in it. Be clothed with humility, right? Let that word abide in you. It bore fruit. And as we give ourselves, we just don't live messages to be laced with politics, right? It's the word of God we want. As we give ourselves to Christ, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Take no thought for the morrow, right? You cannot serve God and mammon. So we despise money. It's a necessary evil. It's like the septic. We don't want to be without it, but no one wants to empty it, right? Right? We kind of, we need the money, but no one wants to touch it. Awful, nasty, smelly stuff, right? This is the attitude. We despise it. We love Christ. We're not a, ooh, more money. You know, that, that's, God forbid, right? Okay, we're on this earth temporarily, and they've got money, and you need it to buy stuff to give away. So, well, there, yeah, you can deal with the money. Thanks, brother, for being the septic cleaner of the church, right? So that's, that's our attitude towards money. We, we, uh, covetousness is a thing we abhor, and so on. As we give our hearts to the word of God, to the life of Christ, to to prayer, to holiness, to charity, to kindness. um, To walk in him. His words dwell in us. We bear fruit. What sort of fruit? What is is fruit? You know, I was going to go into Genesis 1.11. I'll mention it. Uh, The principles, right? God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself. Interesting idea. Right? This is how God's made the material world. So you think of fruit, you think of an apple on an apple tree. The apple doesn't look anything like the rest of the tree, except the other apples. The leaves look different. The stem that holds it to the branches, the branches, the trunk roots nothing looks like the apple it's distinct and yet in it is the seed and in the seed is the information is the life to create another tree that will bear fruit and the love the 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 um, the nature and manifestation of christ in someone contains within that the ability to reproduce christ in someone else Fruit of the womb. Um, Elizabeth said this, Luke chapter 1, verse 42. 
Elizabeth said when she heard Mary, you know, um, blessed art thou, I think that's it, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. I think that was Elizabeth, right? Blessed is she that believed and so on. The fruit of thy womb. Think about that. The, the child in a mother's womb is known as fruit. There's an uh, unpleasant, well, passage in Exodus. I forget where. Is it chapter 32, 22 or something? I don't remember. Um, if men strive together and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, and no mischief follow, then he shall pay as the judges determine. But if mischief follow, thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, burning for burning, and so on. Justice. And there is dispute as to whether that means a miscarriage or a premature birth, what actually the term fruit depart from her. But the point is the child is referred to as fruit. And it's another human being. It's reproduction. So that's the kind of fruit. So on the one hand, you have the, the uh, deeds, if you like. The expression of the tree is not another tree. It's a fruit that someone else can taste and eat and benefit from. You can't eat the tree. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean. Have fun with that. You'll be pretty desperate to be chewing bark off a tree. But you can eat the fruit, and it's delightful. And this is a Christian, right? Bearing these fruits that are delightful to others... But there's another aspect of fruit which is reproducing another human being. Romans chapter 7 verse 4. We'll look at uh, some of these things quickly just to get a full, uh, full picture. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And he talks about it's clearly righteousness. Verse 5, when we are in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So fruit unto God is, uh, is a life of righteousness. Look in chapter 15 of Romans, verse 28. 28, yes. When therefore I have performed this, let's, let's go back. Verse uh, Verse 25, but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, that be like Corinthian churches, the Thessalonian churches, and so on, Philippian churches. It hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When, therefore, I have performed this and sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. 2 Corinthians 9, 10. So this gift of money to provide for the material needs of the poor brethren in the Jerusalem church, which is usually the hardest hit when there was a famine, right? So Agabus says it's going to be a famine, Everyone sends relief to Jerusalem because and Judea because they tended to be hardest hit as a heavily import-based economy. 2 Corinthians 9.10 Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now this is actually related directly to what Paul is writing to the Romans about. 
Fruits of righteousness, right? These are deeds of generosity and uh, alms deeds. That's fruit. Philippians chapter 1. We're going fairly briskly through these because I wonder, there's a variety. It's a bit of a fruit basket. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Uh, And while we're there, uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Paul said, I am full, right? Having received of Epaphroditus, in verse 18, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. In verse 17 he says, not that I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So, the fruit that we're seeing here are fruits of deeds. Deeds of righteousness, alms deeds, generosity. That is one application of the word fruit. Galatians 5.22 is a famous one when we think of fruit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. It's the very qualities of Christ. That's fruit. We have fruit of nature, action, personality. And then we have fruit of deed. Righteous deeds, uh, alms deeds, giving sacrificially so Hebrews 12 verse 11 no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby perhaps these are obvious things I'll come to a point shortly as we summarize and close and go to the Lord's Supper verse Chapter 3 and verse 17 of James. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Jude 12 mentions the opposite, those that are without fruit. And we'll we'll pass over that one. And we'll finish in Romans on... terms of fruit we'll finish in Romans 1 13 and then go back to John 15 and be closed Romans 1 13 now I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you but was led hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also even as among other Gentiles and he says in verse 15 I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also but to whom is he writing Verse 7, to all that be in Rome, listen, beloved of God, called to be saints. He's writing to Christians. He's going to preach the gospel to Christians. There's an idea. And he's looking for fruit. He says that I I long to see you. Um, Verse 11, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. Paul wants to visit them so he can bless them with the gifts God has blessed him for their edification and being established. That's fruit. The most obvious one is other souls being saved. But I wanted us to see that it's not limited to that. 
There's fruit of the nature of Christ manifest in you. Love, joy, peace, righteousness, goodness, temperance, faith. That's fruit. There's fruit of alms deeds, giving to the poor and the needy, ministering to the widow, the fatherless, the homeless, doing acts of um, generosity and charity to those that are in need. That's fruit. Standing up for the, the um, defenseless, acts of righteousness. And the qualities of, of godliness and, and Christ-likeness. Building up the brethren and the church. That's fruit. All of these things are fruit. And of course, um, harvesting, winning others to Christ is fruit. And it would be uh, mistaken for you to think that if you have not won anyone or are not winning someone to Christ, then therefore you are fruitless. Unless indeed you are fruitless and there's nothing of the gospel manifest in you. That would be terrible. Paul wrote to the Philippians, holding forth the word of life. That's part of abiding. People getting saved be part of fruit. And you and I can't force the fruit. We can only abide in the vine. We can be prayerfully as we are immersed in Christ and speak freely and boldly for Him from the indwelling Spirit and the saturation with the Word of God under the anointing of the Spirit. And God will grow us in that and convince others and they should be saved. That's the way forward. We don't want to learn gimmicks, how to talk someone into Christ. I don't know how many times I've said to someone, if I can talk you into Christ, someone else can talk you out. I want you to be convinced in your own heart of Jesus. Brethren, the path to fruitfulness is to give ourselves to abiding. And the Lord says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And that's what it means. You're gone. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Get one fruit, that's good. So, listen. A little fruit, God wants to prune that branch, so it brings forth more fruit. Christ-likeness, righteousness, and Christ-based righteousness. Righteousness that is not just what an unsafe person can do, what the sinner can do. The image of God is in all men, conscience. They haven't all wholly given themselves to the devil. There are many people that um, deny God but love many righteous things and seek to do them. It's marred with pride and so on, but it's still good. It's still righteous. A courageous man standing up for an innocent person being beaten by a bully. That's a righteous thing to do, driving the bully off. That's righteousness. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the righteousness that is the fruit, the, the, the result, the fruit of abiding in the vine. Of having Christ's word. Being clothed with meekness, with humility, 
loving your enemies, praying for your enemies, forgiving others that have wronged you. Those are all fruit. And as those things um, appear on those branches of Christ, he prunes, he cuts off the unnecessary and superfluous things out of the life, providentially and otherwise, that you might be more fruitful. Sometimes it can feel kind of severe. Remember when we helped Scott Lowe prune his uh, blueberry bushes? It's like cutting the thing almost to the ground sometimes. There's a lot of stuff going out. It can feel pretty devastating and look pretty bleak. But the goal is fruitfulness. Not just a big bushy thing that catches your clothes when you walk by. Let us give ourselves to abiding in the vine and having the uh, give ourselves to uh, our minds taken up with Christ his words feeding on them continually and not only hearing but doing them giving us his words abiding in us and the father shall cause much fruit to be uh, to be born every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away Remember he said, my father is the husbandman. This is a providential act. Ananias and Sapphira bore no fruit, and they were taken away. They died. Simon the sorcerer seemed to not bring forth fruit. He was told that both he and his money would perish. Even pre-salvation, um, John Baptist uh, admonished and instructed the people that came in repentance to bring forth works, fruit, meat for repentance. A branch. We see this in the in our in our forest. You, know, you see a branch on a tree, and that branch is dead. It's going to fall on someone and clunk them. You know, it's kind of high up. You can have a branch that is. And the tree, and it's dead. There's no fruit coming. You can get that out of there. And the vine now, a branch that's in the vine, it's just taking up space. It's cluttered. It's blocking sunlight. That's going to be taken away. It's going to be removed. Snipped off, the whole branch. That branch has done something to sever, to stop it from receiving the life of the vine itself. This is a sober warning, but really the, uh, the point here is that where is that? What is the cause of that? And John explains it by the rest. Abide in me. And John explains that in his epistle. Anyone who transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. Some people can now start feeling, oh no, I'm one of those branches. You know, some of us are just so negative. I don't want a show of hands. But any of the negative passages, that's me. You know, some of us respond like that. And so the scriptures have a test for us. The way to abide and bear fruit is to continue believing on the Lord Jesus and having his words continue in you. And the branch in him, in the church, that doesn't bear fruit, 
is a branch that doesn't do that. They don't believe in their hearts and they don't keep the words of Christ. And ultimately, they will not uh, go into the heavenly kingdom. It's not enough to be a body in the, in the assembly and to participate in all of the comforts and joys therein. Each of us must believe in our hearts on the Lord Jesus, with all of our hearts. And we must have his words abiding in us. Job said, there is hope for a tree, even if it be cut down through scent of water. It can live again. You see it. I see it all the time. Sometimes trees are actually hard to get rid of. You cut them off right in the ground, they start to grow again. We have cut a log out of the forest. Crown, root, drag the log in, in the winter. And in the spring, it's got branches growing out of it. Trees are not easy things to kill. Got all the leftover sap completely severed from the roots. We've got new branches, leaves, and everything. It's quite, quite an education. Don't let anyone here think, oh no, I'm done, I'm gone, I'm too far. No, that's not the thing at all. Believe on the Lord with all your heart. Continue in His Word. He gave Himself. This is at a time where He has... Um, this is you know, the Last Supper, so to speak, and he's now teaching. He's washed their feet. He's given them the cup, which we're about to receive, and the bread. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. That's part of his words abiding in us. Except ye eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, ye have no life in you. His word, his life, his spirit within. And as we remember his death, who said these things, said, abide in me. As often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. It's all part of it, brethren. It's all part of abiding in the vine. And as we give ourselves to that by faith in God, he who put the nature of life such that it bears fruit in all of the seeds, in all of the trees, in all of the plants. As he said through Isaiah, as the earth bringeth forth her bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God shall cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. As we give ourselves to abiding in the vine, as we... Uh, give ourselves to having Christ's words abide in us. God who has put the nature of fruit, of life, of reproduction in his creation, he will cause fruit to come forth. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Righteousness, alms deeds, and others being saved and added to his kingdom. Let us give ourselves to these things. Amen. Brother Abe, would you like to uh, pray and initiate the communion? Did you want to come here for folks listening on the, on the mic? Come on up and, and pray.
Lord, we just uh, bless you for the ability we have by, by truly abiding in you to bear fruit. Lord, we thank you that you died maybe as a partial symbol. You were in a tomb, but in a sense buried. Lord, you died, but then you rose and you have power and you give life to those who trust in you and who come before you. We thank you for a reminder of that. We thank you for the bread and the wine this morning, Lord. Speak to us through it. May you be pleased as we remember you. We bless you. We thank you. Amen.